It's Thursday, October 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Thursday. Yes, sir. Happy Thursday, indeed. I think I say this every earnings season, but uh, this is one of those shows where if we wanted to go for two hours, maybe not two hours, if we wanted to go an hour, we could go an hour. Oh, I think an hour is easy. We I think could, two hours would actually be pretty easy. We could do an hour. It no is a problem. happy Thursday for you know a few guys. Out it there. is, but I mean, 3M, Caterpillar, Duncan Brands, Stanley Black and Decker, Southwest Airlines, Eli Lilly, all big companies, all with earnings. We're not going to talk about any of them. Well, and we have some <laughs> others that yeah, when yeah. we have others coming out of the market closes, right? We have yeah. Amazon today. I think Google today is after the market closes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, some we seriously will, big names. We will names probably hit those on the Motley Fool Money Show this Stay tuned. weekend. Um, but let's start with McDonald's. Talk about happy. Third quarter profit and revenue came in better than expected. Uh, on yesterday's market foolery, we talked about Chipotle putting up comps of 2.6%. And I said, if McDonald's had 2.6% comps, they would throw a parade. They didn't have 2.6%, but in the United States, same store sales up 0.9%. And McDonald's stock is popping today. Yeah, if you're Steve Easterbrook, man, you've got to be just. It doesn't matter what side of the bed you get up on because it's going to be the right side of the bed. He's yeah. got to be looking at, you know, he's got to be looking at just life today, thinking, ah, "All right, I got this." They nailed it. You know, this is uh, we've got this figured out, right? It's not so hard. Um, I mean, I, I, you can look at it from two perspectives. I guess at one, you know, one perspective is at some point the hurdle is so low that clearing it is not such a big challenge. Uh, but with that said, I mean, I think McDonald's still brought some results that even surprised me. I mean, I, I thought you know global comps of of four uh, percent, reflecting positive comp sales in all segments. And if you look a year ago, Don Thompson, who uh, you know is no longer the CEO of the company. Um, you know, he had to release. He's still a consultant, though. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's kind of looking and thinking, "Man, what the hell did this guy do? I don't get it." I mean, he made a deal with someone, right? But uh, I mean, you know, last year, same quarter, they were talking about global comp sales actually down three point three percent. The top line was down four percent, excluding currency effects. Versus this year, the top line is up seven percent, excluding currency effects. So I, I think that you have. You've seen a company that has really been down in the doldrums here for a while. We we've been covering, you know, earnings here with McDonald's and it seems like for many quarters now it's been bad news. This is finally some good news for them. Uh, it remains to be seen whether this is sustainable. I mean, it's it's worth noting this doesn't show the impact of breakfast all day. Obviously, that's going to be the quarter that we're talking about. Uh, you know, now the fourth quarter, uh, but but it's also worth noting that they're very optimistic about this this quarter that they're in now, thinking that they're going to be seeing positive comps uh, all the way around again. Uh, so you know, that's that's what you want to see when when we see these restaurant companies reporting that the same store sales number, that comps number is going to be the first thing the market looks to, and when they bring. Uh, such a significant improvement, it's very understandable that the stock is behaving the way it is today. They did indicate in the filing the impact of breakfast, because you're right, we're, we're only getting a few weeks of the breakfast results yeah. in the United States. We'll get much more of that next quarter, but they did emphasize uh, breakfast in, in China and sort of how it helped with the sales recovery uh, going on in China. Um, Steve Easterbrook, We've talked before about Brian Cornell, the CEO at Target, and what a phenomenal first 12 months he had as CEO. 
He hasn't been on the job 12 months, but the stock is up almost 20% yep. in the past 12 months. Uh, it's up 7%, hitting an all-time high today. Steve Easterbrook on his way to a, a pretty damn strong first year. Absolutely. And when you think about a business this big at this point in its sort of life, uh, there, there's a mandate expected, whether you know explicit or implicit, that they return capital to shareholders in some form or another, and so that comes in the form of typically of dividends and share buybacks, and they're gonna they're gonna continue to do that. Uh, because is is you know the difficulties McDonald's faces. Let's let's be very clear. This is still a huge company that makes a lot of money on a global perspective. I do think it's interesting that uh, you know Easterbrook had the wherewithal to get in there and actually change their reportable segments, right? And so th- it wasn't just McDonald's that was having these troubles in China. I mean, they were suffering from brand reputation in China that was that was uh, you know really I think dragging them down. Yum Brands, another good example there of a business that I think they finally just got sick of having to report these crappy China numbers and said, hey, we're just going to spin off the China business altogether. And that can be someone else's problem. Um, but but with McDonald's, I mean, they, they sort of they they steered it away from sort of the geography and focusing more on you know lead markets, growth markets, and uh, you know the this to me at least gives them sort of a new way to maybe focus the business instead of instead of being so subject to to you know one particular geography. They're talking more about sort of these the phases, the stages of the business. And um, you have some mature markets and, and some some relatively not so mature markets, and and so I think that was you know that's turning out to actually probably be a pretty good idea on their part. And um, you know, hey, if, if they're talking about this quarter being a good one as well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the breakfast thing shakes out. I've seen sort of a you know, I've seen I've seen both sides of the coin there in in reporting is is to uh, at least from operators' perspectives, it's. Some say it maybe is driving some traffic. Others say it's just really difficult to manage. So I guess time will really tell there. But but either way, congratulations to Steve Easterbrook and McDonald's. This is a wonderful quarter they reported, and I'm sure they're feeling great about it. Under Armour's third quarter profit and revenue both came in higher than expected. They topped a billion in sales for the first time ever. Yes, sir. Why in the world is this stock down seven and a half percent? Well, Chris, if the market were always <laughs> rational, then it wouldn't be any fun, right? Um, I, this I, is a, I suppose it's but a very <laughs> it's a very valid question. One I feel it on Twitter a few times already this morning. Uh, you know, it definitely makes you wonder: Are the expectations for this company unreasonably high going into these quarterly earnings reports? And, and you know, judging from the stock price before today's sell-off, I mean, the the expectations are very high. It's not what we would call a a cheap stock, or even you know, really a reasonably priced stock. But it is one reflective of, of very high growth uh, expectations. And and I think that the biggest the biggest concern today, the reason why I think the market is is selling this this stock off today, is because. You know, they even raised revenue guidance slightly here for for the remainder of the year. Yeah, that was the thing. I was like, wait a minute, they beat on the quarter. They raised guidance. What am I missing? Well, what, so what we're seeing is we're seeing some margin compression. Now we saw that in the form of gross margin, uh, you know, ticking down a little bit this quarter based on not only currency but also on product mix. And and then what they're talking about here when they raised revenue guidance for this for this full year. Uh, which which means they're seeing a, a better fourth quarter. They 
they also they, they didn't raise operating income guidance, what they set last quarter. So, they were still maintaining that high end of operating income guidance. And ultimately, what this all means is that they're utilizing you know, this additional revenue to invest more in the business. And that's, they were very clear in saying, listen, we're, we are you know, investing in growth here. This is, this is a company that has very high aspirations. They're looking to reach $7.5 billion in sales by 2018. And, and you know, I, I would not bet against them doing it. And, and so, you, know, you look at the sell-off today, the sell-off today is kind of one of those you buy on the rumor, you sell on the news sorts of things. And, and I mean, it's, it's certainly very short-sighted where, where you know, we might look at it. But, but, I mean, having gone through the release, having gone through the call, I mean, this this is a business that's really doing a lot well here. I mean, footwear grew again, sixty one percent. It's still only about sixteen percent of their business, and they they put some context around this in the call. They said over overall this year, Under Armour is going to produce around thirty million shoes this year versus the rest of their competition, which is going to produce around five hundred million. So you can see there's a a tremendous opportunity just in footwear alone. But when you talk about their growth drivers, you know, being being all Right there in front of them, and connected fitness and apparel and international. I mean, China is another market that really is just getting started. Uh, they saw seven, or they see about seventy-five million dollars in sales in China this year. They expect that to double next year to one hundred fifty million. And so they're taking advantage of this growth and they're reinvesting in themselves. They're they're investing in their own success. And I think that uh, that's precisely what you want to see these guys do. And I think that Kevin Plank, to me, is is he's he's one of my top five CEOs. Out there today, I mean, he's he's unbelievable. Any talk from the company about what Jordan Spieth is doing for their golf division? I don't know if they gave any insight into they how, didn't break, how he's moving the product. Yeah, they didn't break out any specific uh, you know numbers where that's concerned, but they did mention him in the call. They talked about him a few times and how they're certainly going to to accelerate investment in golf here in the coming years. And Jordan Spieth has been a, a big catalyst for that. And I mean, any any you know golf fan can sit there and, and say that. I mean, if you you watch, you know, any any golf tournament on on TV today, I mean, the PGA Tour is is really uh, you're seeing a lot more Under Armour out there now than than ever before. And and they've done a good job of bringing really a lot of those big names in there. Jordan Spieth, obviously Steph Curry. Uh, they just landed a big contract with the University of Wisconsin, and so you can see Under Armour really landing a lot of these college deals. They're paying up for these deals, but but the exposure that they're getting from them is is really paying off as well. We're seeing that uh, plain as day, just just in the top line sales they continue to bring in. So I mean, if you're an Under Armour shareholder, you, you got to be feeling really good about what's going on here. And in today's sell off, you, you shouldn't even be you know worried about it because. Again, you should be thinking about this business in the context of the next five years, and, and I see the next five years as being very good. Third quarter profits for American Express fell 16%. Uh, stock is hitting a 52-week low today. Uh, I, I knew that um, it wasn't going to be good for them that they were breaking up with Costco, or Costco was breaking up with them, whoever... I think it's the whoever, latter. Yeah, whoever side you take in that 16-year relationship ending, um, I, I, I don't know. I guess I thought American Express had a more robust business that they could survive that, but it, they, they really seem to be struggling in a way that Visa and MasterCard are not. 
No, and I think that you know one of the bigger advantages that American Express has had for some time has been its brand. You know, the actual brand power that they've been able to communicate. And I think that's I think we're we're actually seeing that start to fade a bit. You know, we had read that that uh, I think it was a Bloomberg article that, that talked about sort of the American Express and Costco thing and. I mean that 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 was really eye opening. I mean there was a lot of sort of behind the scenes stuff there that not that we we didn't really know, and um, it, you know on the one hand I mean it made you feel pretty good about sort of Costco and their priorities. It was right in line with what we've always felt like with them. They're just looking for the lowest prices. On the other hand, it kind of made me look at at American Express with you know a little bit more sort of a, I don't want to say disdain, but just maybe like a bit more caution. Because they certainly seem to think a lot of themselves. Yeah, the, um, and uh, since I've been known to take a shot at Bloomberg from time <laughs> to time, I, I should commend this article uh, uh, in Bloomberg Businessweek magazine. Really great article, available online. You can just go to Bloomberg.com and, and find it. Uh, but it's it it's mainly about American Express. But sort of the hook for the story is the deterioration of that relationship with Costco yeah. and the different. Cultures that they have in the C-suite, and just how Costco executives are very different from American Express executives, and yeah, yeah it it did sort of make me look at American Express like why why are you why are you like this? Yeah. And I, I think that maybe I think that's something that perhaps the brand for them for a while was sort of that sort of that mentality, I guess. But I think. You know, you see today, and I mean, obviously, the payments the payments industry is changing on a daily basis, and technology is playing a big role in that. And I mean, if you want to talk about a convoluted, rather difficult industry to understand, I mean, the payments industry is it. I mean, there's so many hands in that cookie jar, uh, and and that seems to only be getting worse. But it certainly makes you appreciate uh, that the leaders in the space, like Visa and Mastercard, in in the fact that they have such a larger installed user base out there. There's so many more cards out there. And it just gives them, you know, it gives them, I think, at least a leg up in being able to to be accepted at more places. And and I think American Express for the longest time, you know, merchants have, have found it to be a bit of a a bit of a more expensive option. Um, and and that's becoming a tougher sort of proposition to sell these days. And so then what American Express is having to do is sort of introduce new products. Uh, cards for not just the elite, but just for you know the everyday guy and and girl, and and then you're seeing them really have to focus more on renewing those co-branded cards that they've they've had uh, for so long, whether it's with uh, you know JetBlue or or whoever. I mean, they have these these co-branded cards that you know the argument could be made. It was made in that article certainly that uh, you know maybe maybe that. Takes a little bit away from American Express's brand power in that they're relying on co-branding cards as well. But it seems like no matter which way you look at it, the cost of doing business for American Express is going up. And with a very fast-changing space here in in the payments industry, you know, I, I don't I don't know that I think maybe American Express's stock is cheap for a reason. You know, a couple of things before we wrap up. Marketfoolery at fool com is our email address from Troy Adamson in Vancouver, Canada. You had Jim Gillies on yesterday's show, and there was no mention that Canada just got a new prime minister. <laughs> I know. We, you know what? We dropped the ball. You on know. That well, one. we don't we, talk yeah, a lot of politics here. Well, either, we don't. So. We, we, we. Yeah, this is not a political Canadian show. politics. I suppose that's a bit, a bit of a different story. But it was. You know, we had uh, we had Jim and I had chatted briefly about it before the show, but then, and I meant to uh, ask him about it, but uh, but just sort of got away from me. So sorry about that. Um, uh, secondly, I have a request. And if you listen to our Motley Fool Answers podcast, uh, you heard uh, host Allison Southwick mention this. 
Uh, our company, The Motley Fool, we're having our annual meeting in a couple of weeks, Foolapalooza, as we call it. And um, uh, Allison was looking for people in our community, whether they be members of our services or you, our dozens of listeners, to send a 10-second video just telling us your name, where you're from, and a message to our company. It can be to David and Tom Gardner, the founders of the company. It can be to anyone here. It can just be to the, the company writ large, where about 300 of us are going to be gathering at, at the Fulapalooza meeting. Um, and uh, just, uh, yeah, your name, where you're from, your experience with The Motley Fool, and uh, 10 seconds. That's I mean, all. I, w- I wish we could turn the cameraman and actually show Allison's face, because then our listeners, I mean, there's no way you can say no to that face. You I can. mean, that smile and that, that face, you can't say no. Just the cost of production is zippy, people. It's 10 <laughs> seconds of your life. We would love it. I, you you got to do this, yeah. right? So just email it to marketfoolery at fool.com. That's marketfoolery at fool.com. Uh, as I mentioned, Allison mentioned it on the Answers podcast. Um, so she shared a couple with us. So yes. I just want to say thank you to Tim Dowling in huge, Sydney, Australia. Huge thank you. Um, uh, for the video he sent. Very kind words. He Extremely said about thoughtful. I was absolutely taken aback from him. That was just a really, really nice addition to the day. Yeah. And Ryan McCauley in Montgomery, Alabama, oh, yeah. who Ryan. shot a 10-second uh, a video of his son, Austin, who is four years old. <laughs> And Ryan and his son listen to Motley Fool Money every weekend. So, just a, a fantastic video of, of his boy there. So, thank you for that. Um, the meeting's in a couple of weeks. So, um, uh, the deadline is next Thursday. So, you got a week if you're interested. You don't have to. But if you're so inclined, a 10 second video, marketfoolery at fool.com. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, yesterday was Back to the Future Day. We talked about. Yes. Stocks that we would hold for the next 30 years. Bill Barker mentioned Hershey and laid out a, I think, a pretty convincing case for Hershey as a stock over the next 30 years. Jim Gillies talked about Monsanto. I mentioned Starbucks because I find it hard to imagine that Starbucks is going to be disrupted in the next 30 years. Although um, someone did point out on Twitter, uh, one of our listeners pointed out on Twitter, uh, don't underestimate climate change and the effect that that's going to have, not just on you know presumably <laughs> Starbucks, but others as well. But um, you got one you want to hold for the I, next 30 years? Star, uh, Starbucks was one that actually entered my mind for the very same reason. I just It's hard to see coffee really being disrupted. I mean, I just... I'm still going to want coffee, probably even more so in 30 years. Um, but the one I came up with was actually Disney, Walt Disney. I mean, that's another one. I actually, I feel, I feel like it, I have a hard time seeing that one being disrupted. I mean, it could certainly be different than than you know in in its current iteration. I mean, maybe it doesn't own ESPN at that point, or maybe it owns something else. Uh, but but regardless, I mean, that's one where I, I just love the generational nature of it. I mean, those Disney characters are going to be just as valid when we're you know maybe grandparents and. Uh, I mean, I, I have to believe that that uh, Lucasfilm is going to pay off for many years to come as well, and and it just, you know, it it doesn't, you know, we're not even including what they may buy along the way. So I think Disney's one that uh, that that would probably fit that bill. Star Wars is going to make so much money, dude. Have you seen that trailer? It's going. <laughs> I mean, I gotta say, I was per- I was pretty impressed. Well, and the fact that, and you don't, I mean, you don't even have to be a Star Wars fan. Just if you're interested in business, just consider for a moment that Monday Night Football did a, a better than average number because people were tuning in to watch the final trailer of The Force Awakens yep. because it was shown at halftime of that game. And then you have people tuning in to a football game to watch a trailer 
and then going online to buy tickets for a movie that isn't going to be in theaters <laughs> for another two months, and crashing Fandango.com in the process. Yeah. Yeah, you think about the impact that that Spielberg and Lucas have had on our li- on our lifetimes. And this, you know, just to put it in a little bit of a uh, of a different light, there we showed our daughters uh, the Back to the Future movies over the past few weeks. I had them on Amazon Prime now. Yeah, and I mean those movies really hold up. Like I, they went into those movies. I think with a grain of skepticism, they're like, "Oh, great, mom and dad are telling us we should." They're probably not going to be. They loved them. They thought they were great, and I and I enjoy watching them. They really do stand up. They made me feel a little bit old. But but they uh, man, I tell you, they they still just as strong as when they came out back in '85. The reason it makes you feel old is because today is October 22nd, and now everything that happens in those three movies takes place in the past. That's right. <laughs> yep. It's it's. <laughs> you had to remind me. But you know what? Getting old beats the alternative. That is true. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Monday.